We thank you, Yeshua, for we thank you, Yeshua, for being the 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 the, the calm in the storm. We thank you, Adonai. We thank you that 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 Yeshua in the middle of the storm says, "Peace, be still." I have a hunch that when he said that, when his disciples were on the boat and they woke him up and they saw a storm all around, and he woke him up and Yeshua was like, "What's going on?" And he said, "Peace, be still." And it's written that says the storm, you know, subsided and the, everything was still. I have a hunch that really nothing happened with that storm. I have a hunch that it was still just as stormy as it was before he said, peace be still, except the perspective of those disciples changed. Because when he says, peace be still, it doesn't promise that all the things that are kind of swirling around us are just going to stop swirling around us. But Yeshua, the Prince of Peace, gives peace in the middle of the storm. So Yeshua, his gift, his spiritual gift of peace does not promise that things are going to be real peaceful around us. His peace does not promise that the stupid technology is going to do everything just right. So when he says, peace be still, it is above and beyond circumstance. Because his, if his peace was based on circumstance, if his peace was based on the storm actually subsiding, then it's not real peace. Then it's just peace that the, the world can provide. It's peace that medicine can provide. But his peace must be within circumstance that doesn't really seem very peaceful. And this is why I'm convinced that nothing happened with the storm on that lake. It was the perspective that changed. When the Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom, rises up within, and then whatever is happening, we could say it is well with our soul. So thank you, Adonai, that when we declare peace over this sanctuary, we're not even saying that everything's got to work out just right. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Adonai, that you gave us your son, Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And Father, we speak that peace over all circumstance. For us to find that peace like a treasure, Adonai, in the midst of things that just don't seem so peaceful. Blessed is your name, Father. Blessed is your name. I don't care if it's a sacrifice of praise or it's just, it's not much of a sacrifice to praise. We praise the Lord in all things. When he wrote... This is the day, Zehayom, Asa Adonai. This is the day the Lord has made. Nagila Venishma, Nagila Venisim Chavo. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
I don't really know any other day that actually is exempt from that. Is today exempt from the day when he says, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice? Was yesterday exempt from that? Is tomorrow exempt from that? Everybody's concerned about what's going to happen tomorrow. I'll tell you one thing about tomorrow. That is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Our Torah went through the, we got the incredible shrinking Torah. The Torah that we had that was uh, actually survived the Holocaust, interestingly. That Torah is now in Haiti with Rabbi Peter. Thank you, Father. Because the real deal lives in your heart anyway. The real deal lives in your heart anyway. Because it says in Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, behold, I will make a new covenant, Brit Chadashah, with the house of Judah and the house of Israel. I will put the Torah on their hearts. Yeshua is the Torah, the living Torah on your hearts. So you can give us a microscopic Torah, but the real deal, <laughs> you can give us a Torah that we need to put get our magnifying glasses to read the words, but it's okay. The real deal is in your heart. Yeshua the Messiah is the real deal. Bless the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So in our little Torah, as was mentioned, we're in the last book, no, we're in the last chapter, the last Torah portion, the last parsha, the last portion in the book of Numbers. And I've mentioned it here before that the end of the book of Numbers is actually the end of the Torah story. Now, we, we have a whole other book to go, the book of Deuteronomy, but the book of Deuteronomy is Moses on the other side of the Jordan River, just reiterating for about a month of everything else that we already read. There's some new stuff in there, but the, the story is now over. The, the, the story from Genesis to, the, to Exodus to everything and the, everything that happened in the wilderness, the full 40 years is now over. All of the wars have been fought. They're on the other side of the Jordan. They're ready to go in, and starting next week, Moses gives his final push, his final hurrah on what to do. So we're at the end of the Torah story. I've said this here many, many times, that if your end times theology, if your eschatology does not include the salvation of Israel, then your eschatology is a little wrong or a little limited because the salvation of Israel is what's going to bring in the coming of the Messiah and the redemption of the world. Because if the first fruits are holy, the rest is holy. And even in the end of the, the, the stories of the Torah that we see now in the end of the book of Numbers, because it's the end, we can see things if we're reading it and we, we have eyes to see, we're going to see things that speak about even the end times. 
And I spoke about that even here, I think, a week ago or two weeks ago or maybe three weeks ago. I don't know what happens to me after every Shabbat. I have no clue what I spoke about. Like once I'm home, after every Shabbat, I go home and I sit down and I go, ah, and I think over the day and I say to myself, what the hell did I talk about? I don't know why that is, but it's just the way it is. So at some point I spoke about something about Jewish people and the salvation and end times recently. But what happens at the end of the story, we see another picture, a prophetic picture of Christians and Christianity and their role in, the, in this story, the end times story. See, we see at the end now, now that they're at the end of the story, we see the borders of Israel being defined by the Lord. And he's very specific with the borders. Lots of dialogue these days about borders and how strong or porous they should be. But God defined the borders of Israel, and he's very, very clear about what they are. He says, you're going to start at the, at the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea, and you're going to, turn, you're going to go down south, and you're going to go to, the, to what it's called the Great Sea, which is in the Torah, it's called the Great Sea, which is the Mediterranean. And you're going to go up the coast of the Mediterranean, and then you're going, to, you're going to turn right, and you're going to go to the mountains, which is a mountain range actually in Syria now, and you're going to come down, and you're going to go to the eastern side of what is called uh, Lake uh, Chinaret, it says in Torah, which is the Sea of Galilee, actually, on the right side. On the, on the eastern side of it, you're going to go down the Jordan River and you're going to come back to the, the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea, and there's your borders. So he, sees, he lays that all out in this Torah portion. There you go. There's the borders of Israel. And then after that, something kind of crazy happens. Two trucks, because they just had a, they're on the other side of the Jordan, right? They're ready to cross in, and, 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 and they're on the other side, and they just went through these, these, this amazing battle where they were, they, they were victorious. In fact, they didn't lose any single soldier in the entire battle, it says. And, and they're on the other side, and, and, and these, the borders of Israel are established. And then these two tribes, Reuben and Gad. See, in Hebrew, it's actually God. G, G, God. The, the Gad is, is, is normally pronounced in English, Gad. But in Hebrew, it's God, but I know that would be very confusing to English-speaking folks. So we'll just say Gad. Gad. So Reuben and Gad are on the other side of the Jordan, and they say something kind of crazy. God already established the boundaries. And all of a sudden, they go, you know what? We like it over here. You know, I, I mean, look, I mean, we got a lot of cattle from this battle, Schmattel. And here we are on this side, and, and it seems to be pretty good, you know? So, like, maybe we'll stay here. And Moses goes, are you crazy or something? Like, do you remember what happened 40 years ago? They, like, they disheartened all the people when they didn't want to cross over. And now we, we have to stay another 40 stupid years out here. Are you going to make us stay another 40? Now God's going to kill all of you, and it's going to be another generation. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I wish I had it on the screen. Because they said something very prophetic and very important. You see, even on this day, there are people in Israel, but they're on the other side of the Jordan. Those, that's you, who aren't of the Jewish line. See, that is a prophetic picture of, of Christians, part of Israel, grafted into Israel, but they don't live in Israel. You see, Israel was never meant to be established by boundaries. 
because the word of the Lord will take over this whole world. And even the, the rabbis, the sages know that at the end when Mashiach, Messiah comes, it's not like everybody's going to have to squeeze into this little parcel of land. Israel will be all over the world, so you can be in China and you'll be in Israel worshiping the Lord. So we have these two tribes. They're part of Israel, but they're not in the land. Prophetically, those are Christians. And then when Moses was chastising, they responded with words that are prophetic. And they said, and I'm going to have to paraphrase it now. I wanted it on the screen, but I forgot to send it. They said, we will go into battle. We will take up arms with our brothers, the children of Israel. And we will go into battle with them in their drive to take their inheritance. And we will not enter into our own inheritance until they enter in first. That is an end times revelation. The Lord is waiting for a body of Messiah to say, we will withhold our inheritance. See, the whole body of Messiah, it's all about the inheritance. I'm going to heaven. And I'm ready to jet this stage as soon as possible. The Lord is waiting for a body that's going to say, you know what? I know my inheritance is secure, but I will withhold that until my brothers, my brothers, the children of Israel, enter in and receive their inheritance. Until then, I will not rest. That's what the children of, of, of Reuben and Gad said. And it was pleasing to the Lord. How do we even know that this is a prophetic picture of Christians? Because it was Reuben and God that, that said they want to do this. And after it was all said and done, it was Reuben, God, and Moses through the half-tribe of Manasseh there as well. And they didn't even ask for it. Who is Manasseh? They are the, he's with Ephraim. They are the sons of Joseph, the ones that were born outside in Egypt. That Jacob, whose name was turned to Israel, said, who are these two? Who are they? And Joseph, who's a picture of Messiah, said, these are the ones born of me outside the land. And then Jacob, whose name is Israel, said, they belong to me now. Hello, first instance of being grafted in. And God, and, and God in his wisdom put this tribe, one of the tribe, half of that tribe, half of the tribe on outside of that. And I think that's prophetically saying that it's not all Christians going to get this. But it doesn't matter because only God needs a remnant. Remember when the first fruits are holy, the rest is holy. That's why I don't sit and going around trying to judge everybody where they are and what they're doing and everybody's righteousness where they are. If the first fruits are holy, the rest are holy. And Yeshua is the first fruits. This is not just a revelation about Christians and Israel. The Lord is wanting to wake us up to say to our brother, to our sister, I will not rest. I will take up arms with you 
And remember, our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So the Lord is waiting for a body that will go to our broken brothers and sisters and say, I will take up arms with you. And until you receive your inheritance, I will not receive mine. Moses did it. Moses did it. If they're not going in, Lord, then write me out of your book. Paul in the New Testament, Shaul, Rabbi Rav Shaul, Paul in the New Testament did it. He said, may I be accursed from Messiah for the sake of my brothers of the flesh. Everybody's looking to get out of here. When the Lord is looking for a body that will give it all up because when Yeshua said the, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, when Yeshua said those who, who try to save themselves will lose their lives and the ones that lose their lives will save it. Adonai is going to raise up a body where we put, put our broken brothers and sisters who are on the journey to the promised land and say, you know what, I'm going to take up arms with you and I'm going to withhold my blessing until you get your blessing. And this is a divine thing. This is not a human thing. The humans will just mess it all up. It's a divine thing. So who is it that the Lord put on your heart? Who is it that the Lord put on your heart? Who is it? What's he going through? What's she going through? Does it matter to the Lord? I remember once Susie and I were ministering at a congregation or a conference somewhere some years ago and chit-chatting at the table with somebody. I'm not very good at small talk. We're chit-chatting. Talking about family. Family. Family shmamly. It's Jewish humor, by the way. You can take any word and then repeat it with an SH in front of it and it's funny. Family shmamly. Family shmamly. Hey, go sit in your seat. Seat shmeet. It's always funny, I'm telling you. So we're sitting at the table shmabling. And we're chatting. About, I'm going to lose it. We're chatting about family. And so this one person says, I was talking about my dad, and my dad, this was a couple years ago, he recently died, a couple of years ago. But it was just after he died that we were ministering at this place, and the person, I said, yeah, my dad just passed away, and uh, she goes, was he saved? And I said this, I said, if you're asking if he accepted Yeshua into his heart before he died, I don't know. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. If and when it's my turn to enter into the kingdom, and I'm at the door of the kingdom, and I'm looking through, and I don't see my dad, and I go, where is he? And somebody says, he didn't make it. What I said at the table, I said, if that happens, I'll say, 
I'll be right back. I'm going back and getting them. Because I'm not going in without them. And if that means I have to go into hell to get them out. Because the one that lives within me somewhere said that the gates of hell will not prevail. I got one person clapping. The rest of the congregation is like, I don't know if that's theologically accurate. I don't care if it's theologically accurate. I'm not going in without him. Yeshua asked Peter, who am I? Yeshua said, you are Messiah, son of the living God. Atahu HaMashiach, Ben Elohim Chaim. You are the Messiah, son of the living God. Yeshua said, that revelation does not come to you by flesh and blood, but by from heaven. And it is upon this rock. I will build my kahila, my congregation, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Oh, Yeshua doesn't have a problem going into hell to get people out. Oh, he did that already. The Lord is waking up a body that's not afraid to go into hell and take people out. You know, there's the story of the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. But then there's the fourth that was in the fire also. One like the Son of Man. The Lord is raising up a body, not to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but to be like that fourth one. To go into the fire. To rescue our broken brothers and sisters. Because so many are in hell right now. Egypt, what the children of Israel were saved from, is hell. That's why scripture calls it the iron furnace. It is hell. And it was the blood of the lamb on the doorpost that set the people free so they can march out of hell. The Lord is raising up a body and will raise up a body who's willing to give it all up. He's willing to give it all up. This is why you won't catch me judging people wherever they are in their life, whatever their thought processes are, whatever their politics are. Don't catch me judging them. We're all on a journey. How do you, how do you, how do you describe it? So, Somebody come from Bob, come forward. This is what the world does. See, Bob is on a journey. Bob had a starting point, and he had an ending point. He's going to have an ending point. 
And every step of the journey is an ordained step from the Lord. Every step. I'll tell you one of my favorite things, if not my the favorite thing about this Torah portion and about the whole Torah. At the end of the story, in this Torah portion, every single stopping point and starting point and stopping point and starting point and stopping point and starting point is recounted. Why is that? Because every point in the journey is holy and worthy of recount. You are living epistles. You are all living Torahs. And every part of the journey is holy. And the Torah was written before the foundations of the world, which means that every starting point and ending point was already written before he said, Yahior, let there be light. So every point, every starting and ending point on the journey is, is, a, holy, is a holy thing. It's, it's, it's part of the ordained journey set by the Lord for you and you alone. And who am I to judge one part of the journey? You see, Bob had a starting point here. His ending point will be here. And we know that at the end, he gets all the gifts. You can hold that. Okay. So he gets everything at the end. It's because God is, is turning us into, into him. He's, he's, we, he's turning us into him. So we are as he was, so we are. It's what it says in scriptures. And he's, he's, he's crafting us and forming us and breaking us and molding us and breaking us again and molding us. And at the end of the day, we get the full prize. But this is what happens in the world with judgment. See, Bob has his walk. So there's a part of Bob's walk where he's doing good. He seems to be doing pretty good. So the world looks at him like having this. Now take another step. Oh, he's still doing pretty good. He just got married. Glory, hallelujah, that's of the Lord. He's looking really good. I'm not going to hit you. Take another step. All of a sudden, Bob gets divorced. People look at him like this. Oh, no, he's still doing okay. Maybe he's just got this. But then the world kind of forgets what he went through. Okay, he's doing okay. He's a minister. He got ordained. Oh, he got ordained. Glory, hallelujah. He got ordained. Ordained, schmordained. Yay! And then take another step. And then he fell off the wagon again. And people look at him like this. Oh. Then he starts going to the, 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 the Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Oh, good, that's holy. See, this is what the world does. That's judgment. The Lord is with him in the divorce, in the wagon, off the wagon. Because King David said, where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit, where can I flee from your spirit? 
Oh, Bob just declared himself atheist again. Oh, he's not doing good. He's, he's backslidden. That's not how it works from the eyes of God. Because Bob may be right here in his journey, but he has many other paths to go. And God sees the whole picture. When we don't, it's like looking at an unfinished painting and saying this needs work. You missed the spot. Thank you, Bob. You can sit down. No good, he says. May we have eyes to see what the Lord sees, the beautiful painting that he is finishing, that he's in the process of finishing with us. And we think that about ourselves also, like, I'm not doing so well. I'm doing a lot better. I'm not doing so well. I'm doing a lot better. God has put his son into you, so he sees his son in you. And that's all he sees is his son in you, his son in you. That's all he sees is his son in you. He is your identity, the falling downs and the getting ups and the falling downs and the getting ups and the falling downs. I was really hurt at church. I'm going to stay away from church for like 10 years. Oh, we sang, where you go, I'll go, where you stay, I'll stay, God. What you pray, I'll pray. What you pray, I'll pray. Where you go, I'll go, where you stay, I'll stay, God. What you pray, I'll pray. See, if we listen in spirit, Messiah's singing that over you. Wherever you go, oh, I'm hurt by church. I think I'm going to stay at home on Saturdays and Sundays. Yeshua, your rear guard is going, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. What you pray, I'll pray. That's him saying, when you pray, I'll pray to the Father on your behalf. What you pray, I'll pray. Daughter of the king, broken, goes into a crack house. She was following. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you pray, I'll pray. Day before, daughter of their king goes into the brothel to make her money for the crack that she'll try to get tomorrow. Yeshua goes, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Or was Yeshua only speaking in part when he said, I will never leave you, or I'll never forsake you? You see, when we accept him into our hearts, we're on a journey. And we could do a pretty good job judging unfinished paintings on parts of their journey. The Lord is raising up a body that will 
take up arms, like Reuben and God said, I will take up arms and march with my brothers. And I won't rest until they rest. Then I'll rest. Abel and Ibia, can you come and just bring your accordion and just start playing and singing in the spirit with the accordion? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Adonai. Thank you, Adonai, that you are a God that breathes. Thank you, Adonai, that you are a God that breathes. Help us, Adonai, to realize that your breath... (laughs) How many people want to be breathed on by the Lord? You're like, oh, yes, I want to be breathed on by the Lord. You know, breath, the Hebrew breath is the same word as spirit, ruach. And we want a spirit, we want to be breathed on by the Lord. What we don't realize when we ask that is God's breath consists of an inhale and an exhale. And we think of it just as the exhale. When we feel his breath and he's moving us with his breath and with his spirit. What we don't understand is that if you're going through a dry time, it's not that God isn't breathing on you. He's just going through the inhale. The inhale draws you close. The exhale pushes you out. That's what the Jewish holidays are all about. The spring festivals are the exhale. The autumn festivals that we're about to partake of, the inhale. Thank you, Adonai. Just play and sing. Play and sing. Thank you, Adonai. Bless the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. Father, help us to see as you see, Adonai. Help us to help us to help us to see not just in the natural, Lord God, but see what you are doing in people. Help us, Adonai, to see what you are doing and to be lockstep, Adonai, with your spirit, with your breath, Adonai. Blessed is your name. Blessed is your name. Blessed is your name. Blessed is your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.